What's up and welcome to Difficulty Class, a podcast about all things Dungeons and Dragons. I'm one of your hosts, Trevor Bettis, and with me this week is... Allie Deitchman. That's right, and also with us this week is our awesome guest, Eric Jordan. Hey, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this all week, actually. So, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've been been very excited and still can't believe you're here because... you know, like what a year ago, I was sitting in my car going, I really hope that Codename Entertainment notices me at some point. And now I'm sitting here with Eric Gordon. Well, like I say, it's great. It's great to be here. We were chatting beforehand, and obviously, we all love D and D so much. So it's mm. always great to hang out with other people who love D and D as much as I do. <laughs> um, yeah. So we are going to be uh, talking with Eric about. Uh, uh, Idol champions uh, about uh, about D and D stuff about all kinds of fun things. But first, we're going to do what we normally do, which is how are your games this week. But Eric, what, what, what's been going on with you recently with your games? Oh, oh COVID. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So so before uh, all of this hit, the pandemic hit, I was running um, sort of three core games uh all intersecting within Waterdeep. one of them based around the Waterdeep um uh, dragon high storyline and see. then uh, a fourth game that i kind of did sometimes and sometimes not so my i have I'm, I'm blessed to be married uh and then with three lovely uh, older well teens and one's 20s not even a teenager anymore <laughs> Um, so basically, I was running a game with each of them because, of course, they didn't want to do all games together, and then one game with my wife and some of our friends. So there's sort of all this intersecting kind of thing. So I did all this great stuff, and of course, lovely thing about Waterdeep is it's it's such a a rich history, and there's so much information. Mm-hmm. In that. And, and the DMs Guild was such a great resource that I could bring in all this extra stuff. So even though there's only kind of one quote-unquote adventure kind of campaign, I could bring in all these other pieces. So And a lot of that had all moved into, we were all in um, Undermountain. And so my players oh, were all geez. kind of in Undermountain. And my last game had been right before PAX South and flying out for PAX South, or trying to fly out to PAX South because then there was freak snowfall and craziness. Mm-hmm. And then coming back, and then I did PAX East, um, and so it was all really busy. And then, um, uh, and then of course, COVID hit. And so at first, I was like, oh, well, you know, Fantasy Grounds Roll20, I'll try some of these things, and, you know, surely we can keep doing it, because, like, such kind of an important part of... It's just a really important hobby to me, and something I, I deeply love doing. And... Um, I just couldn't do it. Like, and not to say I know there's lots of people who do, um, you know, do play over Discord or any of those, you know, Roll20, Fantasy Grounds, all the kind of stuff like that. And there's lots of support for it. And I think it'd be a really rich experience for people. But I just, I just, I personally just couldn't do it. Uh, and there was honestly one point when I was looking at, I brought out kind of a bunch of my notes and all these, I really into paper props and stuff like that. So I brought out all the bunch of the stuff and thinking like, okay, because I had a whole bunch of stuff made for, the next sets of players and where they were going to go. So I brought it all out to be like, okay, so, you know, I just, I really, I just got to get this working. I just have to do this. And I was honestly so overcome. Just, I just had to sit down and kind of, <laughs> I was on the verge of tears. I was just so like, yeah. I just, I can't do it. And then I was actually chatting with my middle son, um, Sasha. And, um, and he's like, well, dad, maybe, maybe online games like that just isn't for you. And, um, we are, we have enough people in our bubble between my three kids, my wife, and um, a, a friend 
who have uh, the family who's um, uh, also 18, uh, one of the kid's friends um, that's in our bubble. And Sasha's like, well, why don't you've always run? Why don't you run Curse Estrade? Why don't we just other, put everything else on hold and run Curse Estrade? We have enough people that we can do it. And I start talking with my wife about the idea and we kind of co-DM with uh, Mitra and I are co-DMing it together. So that's pretty fun because there's a lot of really interesting female characters in Curse of Strahd. And mm-hmm. I, thought, mm-hmm. I didn't want my wife to feel left out because I couldn't do a game with her. So it's like, okay, so we're doing all this together. So so yeah, so then actually we kicked it off um, right before that last weekend in June. And then in Canada, July 1st was a holiday, Canada Day. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. uh, we played our second game there um, because one of our players couldn't join um, for a couple weeks. And so... So yeah, so so I've had two in-person games uh, very recently on Curse of Strahd, and I've been doing a lot of Curse of Strahd props, which has been great fun, great fun. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. You showed us a couple of the props, and we're going to talk about it more later, but we're just, Trevor and I are both in awe. Oh my God. <laughs> it, if you ever want to see a, a man with a big beard gush, uh, <laughs> that, that would be me, him holding up those props. Um but no, yeah, that that I I think that is a great way to do that. Where it's like, yeah, you put the other games on hold, and you've got, like you said, your bubble, and get to play a, a new game while this is going on. That's that's great. That's a that's a great like in between mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I mean, Curse Strahd is fantastic. So, oh, yeah. yeah, with its faults, but it's it's fantastic. Certainly, is something I've always wanted to do, uh, like run Curse of Strahd, and I kind of thought about it before we and before we ended up doing the Waterdeep Dragon Heist campaign. So it's like, oh yeah, it was great. But it was definitely, you know, I think so much like twenty of twenty twenty is kind of just accepting, like, well. There's certain things that just don't work for me. <laughs> like I just, yeah. you know, I, yeah. I wanted this to work and I had ideas that this could work, but it's just not how I in particular kind of engage with Dungeons and Dragons and really how I like to DM and stuff like that, which is mm-hmm. very physical. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, isn't to say uh, other people can't do it, of course, because I know lots of people have lots of great games online. The uh, <laughs> Before before COVID hit, I, uh, I bought a lot of uh <laughs> descent into avernus things like yep. maps and minis and giant <laughs> war machines and i'm like well screw it i'm gonna put my phone into the discord chat because they're gonna see those <laughs> <laughs> i spend money on them they're gonna see it mm-hmm. uh but uh yeah. but yeah Ali, how, how, how are your games going uh, i mean we 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 have we have a long catch-up to do with our listeners but yeah. like overall what how, how's it been going for you during the summer um, they've been going pretty well, like, uh, much like with Eric, I had to kind of put a couple things on pause just cause I couldn't do certain things online, like our, uh, Tomb of Annihilation game that's entirely been tabled simply because mm-hmm. it's just for some reason with that group in particular, it's a lot easier to do it only in person. And I think it's also with the game too, because we're just about to get towards, you know, the meat grinder part of the, the book. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I feel like it would just feel so like just out like out of person like out of body kind of situation of like oh yeah you guys are going through this if we did it online as opposed to when you're at the table and you're seeing your mini just barely scoot by (laughs) and and so we we tabled that one for now but um the other ones that like my wednesday game has kept going they're uh (laughs) they're they're current they've dealt with a couple of big bads uh since we paused (laughs) and um now they're dealing with uh stuff that the gods can't deal with so it's like um like for eric i don't know if you but like pretty much my game is set in 4e times but with fifth edition (laughs) so they're dealing with spell plague (laughs) 
Why, why uh, did you make that choice? Uh, honestly, the Neverwinter MMO. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the whole game started with me uh, not having enough time to prepare stuff myself, so I just just transferred the MMO into RPG. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So it's she, like she was she was living with me at the time when that happened. And she texted me one day. And she's like, "Oh, I left all my prep stuff at the house. Can you go into my room, get the folder, and take pictures of it?" And I, I'm like, "Yeah, sure." And I go in there and I just text. I'm like, "Allie, these are all MMO quests. <laughs> these are just pictures <laughs> of the MMO." <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. And so like they're dealing with the spell plague, but the gods haven't even gotten a hold of that yet. And so they're they're realizing they might have bit off more than they chew. And so now they're taking a break and dealing with dragons instead, which that's a sentence that's fun. Um, <laughs> but let's see. And then I have one home game, which is literally home. Uh, it's me and the roommates. And we've been playing this game that I've had full time to prepare for it's this archipelago campaign a whole map that i made up and we've been having a huge blast with it i'm in the middle of building a boat for them like physical boat <laughs> oh wow <laughs> out of it's, wood or something or? it's literally out of foam board and okay, i'm yeah, gonna yeah. just like throw some mod podge on it protect it and paint it and <laughs> it's it's I'm, I'm excited to finish it up because I'm, I'm nearly there i'm getting close <laughs> that's awesome but so far it's been pretty good that's good. What about um, you, Trevor? I had to make a hard decision over the summer, and it sucked. Yeah. Um, I came to the realization that uh, I had way too much on my plate between three podcasts, uh, three D&D games, uh, and everything else going on in life. And so I had to actually, like, cancel one of my games, and that sucked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to have that, you know, that I had to send that novel of a message in Discord that's just like, I am so sorry that I'm letting you guys down like this, but I cannot do it for my own mental sanity. Um, but something really cool has come out of it. Now we just do weekly one shots and I don't have to prep. I'm a player and I can take any character I want into that game and just roll some dice on Friday night. Oh, that's so lovely. Yeah. Uh, one, one of my players was like, hey, would would being a player still work for you? Like, would, would you have time to do that? And I'm like, yeah, because it's really the prep time. And so he's been doing an amazing job with um, coming up with these awesome boss fights that are just meant to be one shots with really fun mechanics. And we're all bringing in these insane characters because <laughs> it's great because he's like, I don't care what you have. Like, take a magic item. I don't care what it is. Just do it. And I'm like, <laughs> all right. Um, and so that's been really fun. Um, I with, with my with my main group with Golden Pals. Um, so, uh, I, I, this game has been run exclusively through discord since it started because no one lives near each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and originally it was just to be like, um, my, my sister, she's never played D and D and she, uh, doesn't live here. So it was mainly an excuse to like get her to play D and D for the first time. That was two years ago. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we've been going pretty strong. Um, but, uh, we have, so I, I transitioned Boulder's gate over to them again because i bought so much shit uh and uh and so they there's doing this but i have two new players and for story reasons three characters now are much lower level than the rest of them uh and it's the first time i've ever done this and so it's it's really fun to like one see the golden pals do golden pals shit and see these new players just go what (laughs) 
I saw that, that tweet that you posted. Yeah, I know. It, it, like, it's literally come down to just like the new one of the new players. Like, I've got a really logical and good tactical plan. And everyone goes, no, we don't do that. We're going <laughs> to pretend we're a metal band. The halfling is going to make himself look like Kiss. And we're just going to walk up to the demons. And it, it, it's just, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that that's been that's been a fun one and you know we've been going with our pathfinder game that's moved over to roll 20 and discord Mm -hmm. and roll 20 is if if it could just like my mouse for one day (laughs) and not try to select the entire map (laughs) when i'm trying to move my character it'd be great but yeah there's like some things that i like with roll 20 that i wish was in everything even in real life like the concept of auras like oh this person is holding a torch you could see where the torch lights yeah. easily without having to do anything. I wish that was applied to everything. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's some aspects of Roll20 where I just like, I can't, I don't, this is too it's, much. It's the fact that it's like, those things are cool, but they take like 15 minutes to set up. And I'm like, stop it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that's, that's, that's how my games are going. They're going pretty good. Uh, fun times had by all. And, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, but we are here to talk about Eric. How's it going, Eric? <laughs> I, don't know. I feel more nervous when you say we're here to talk about Eric. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Who's Eric? Where is he? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, Eric, why don't you why don't you give like a, your, the elevator pitch of like who you are, what you do? Like elevator pitch. Um, I play a lot of D and think we've established that. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, I guess uh, from a work perspective, so I'm the CEO of Codename Entertainment. So we're a independent game studio with 22 folks, and we have three uh, games that we actively put out updates for that we actively live service. Um, we've got a, a legacy Facebook game called Bushwhacker 2. We have a game called Crusaders Lost Idols, and then we have a game called Idol Champions of Forgotten Realms, which is, of hey. course... Uh, Dungeons and Dragons licensed game. It's the first time that we've um, worked uh, and, and got a license, and, and we, in this instance, of course, work with Wizards of the Coast um, as the licensor of that, and do all sorts of approvals and all the things that kind of come from that. Um, and then, I guess, skipping back in time, um, <laughs> I, uh, I sort of, I guess, followed a somewhat odd uh, path when. Year, a bazillion years ago now, when I graduated high school, I thought about going into maybe computer science. It seemed like probably a good, you know, thing that would lead to a job. But people had always said to me, like, you know, do what you love. And so I ended up um, uh, getting a visual arts degree, actually, mm-hmm. at the University of Victoria. Um, though I did not combine it with any student debt or anything like that, because I was like, well, I love this, but I really don't know where this is going to go. Um, <laughs> I ended up meeting someone uh, when I was finishing my degree who was doing some stuff around image databases. And so together, and we were so incredibly young and really had no idea what we were doing. We were like, well, let's start a company, which literally was, it seems better than tree planting, which is what I had been doing before. <laughs> um, well, and, and you, I, I think I read, sorry, you, you guys started that in college, right? Yeah. Originally yeah. a research project? It was a research, well, I mean, it was mostly us horsing around that in hindsight we would call a research project. Um, so <laughs> it sounded better, especially when we're talking to investors and stuff. But yeah, so um, so yeah, so we started this company, the two of us, a guy named Dave Manning and myself, and I was 24 when we started it, which um, now that my 
my eldest son is 20. And so I look at him, I'm like, oh my God, what was I thinking? But it turned out that I spent, and I had no background, like I had no business background. I had had, like, literally I completed my art degree. That was my sum total, my background. But conveniently, I uh, had some sense about what I was doing and then learned a lot through that uh, process. Um, And then fast forwarding 12 years later, um, we were one of the largest software companies, the largest software company, I think, on the island with 70 people. Um, 50 here, 20 in the U.S., and we sold to IBM. So IBM continues to run them as the IBM Victoria Software Lab here in Victoria. So it it is still going. Yeah, well, that group of stuff. I mean, there's some people who have left and some people joined. But but still, like, like, essentially what you set up is is still going there with IBM. That's pretty cool. I I didn't know that part of it. That's awesome. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, I feel, yeah, it was extremely... Yeah, I don't know. I just feel very blessed. I mean, there's lots of people who worked very hard. So I was one of many people who were part of that whole, that particular journey. Um, and I remember at the time, especially like just a couple of years in, um, and I was I was so young and I always have looked really young. So like I look young now, which isn't so bad now that I'm like 51, <laughs> but when I was like 24 <laughs> and I looked like I was 16. Uh, but um <laughs> But I remember I really wanted to like write a blog post back at the time of um, uh, like everything I learned about being a CEO I learned from DMing, but I just didn't feel comfortable. Like I was so I, I oh, so okay. to kind of still establish myself. That I did, but I remember thinking that like oh a lot of the things that I'm doing in my role here, I'm really drawing on my all the years of DM. DMing that I had done, which I had done for many years by that point. Um, and that was really kind of my foundational management skills came from the, <laughs> you know, organizing games and managing a table and all those things. Uh, and then, yeah, so we sold the company. I took a couple years off after that. My wife um, wanted to do her master's, and I was pretty clear that uh, she was going to divorce my ass if I didn't uh, support her <laughs> through that. But she had supported me so much through building the last the company. And so I took time off. We had just had our third child. Um, we traveled for six months to Southeast Asia, which was pretty awesome. That's awesome. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah. And then I took time off, looked after the kids. And then once the kids were old enough to be back in school, I've been doing a bit of part-time stuff. But um, uh, then I wanted to look around to do another thing because my first love is running a company. Kind of like my mm-hmm. first love in RPGs is being the DM. My first love mm-hmm. is kind of like, it's yeah. one thing to advise, but I'm like, I'd rather run the company. Uh, and <laughs> I, I had a bunch of very specific business things I was looking for. Um, and then it kind of occurred to me that uh, uh, video games had changed a lot because I've always been big into games and the video game industry had changed a lot. And really between you know, looking at it before and where it was at the time, it was like, oh, like you can, you can survive as a, as a smaller independent studio. You don't need to get investment and you don't need to get a publishing deal. You mm-hmm. can direct publish through things like Steam or the web before that and mobile, of course. And, and that for me was a really missing piece because having done a, built an enterprise software company where, especially at the time you had to build with venture investment and I raised $35 million for that business to get it up and get it going. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of strings that come with $35 million. So, you know, I was, <laughs> a lot of strings. I was 35 million of them. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, 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 and that's just, that's part of the deal. And I, and, you know, I went in knowing that, um, but sort of doing it again, I was like, Oh, I really didn't, I really wasn't interested 
in, in any industry where I was going to have to sort of do something like that. I mean, there are always strings to, to sort of mm-hmm. how your business kind of is funded. But if those strings are from players who are playing your games in this instance, I'm yeah. like, I, those, are, those are the kind of strings that I wanted to be beholden to. I really wanted a company, particularly a gaming company, where you know, we could be beholden to what the players want to see. Um, now, not that doesn't mean each individual player. It means yeah. the overall. <laughs> uh, just to clarify, there's a lot of people who play our games. Um, but, you know, that is compared to, like, an investor or a publisher. Um, I, you know, I was like, I really want to be focused on on players, which does mean a slower kind of growth um, than if you raise money, and especially if you get a home run after you raise money and all that kind of stuff. But it was something that just sort of fit for what I really kind of wanted and sort of my distillation from my previous experience. So, so yeah, so then we've been running this company for many years now. Yeah, you, you joined, uh, you joined, uh, it says you joined David Whitaker and Justin Stocks. Did you know them previously or did you meet them through doing no. this? I, I met them through a mutual friend. Um, mm. Yeah, they had been uh, both at the University of Victoria as well, though we hadn't known each other. Mm-hmm. But I had been gone by that point. Um, and uh, Facebook was just opening up their platform for Flash Gaming. And right. David and Justin have been best friends since they were six years old. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, they had been friends forever. They had dreamt of uh, starting a game company forever. And they were living in a you know, house with a bunch of roommates uh, when Facebook just opened up the platform. And uh, David's like, now is the time. Let's make a game studio. And so they started a flash game called uh, Egg Breaker, um, where you got hammers and you whacked eggs and you got prizes. So it's more or less the core game loop. Um, All right. And, and they, but it was it was easy and it was quick, and they got it mm-hmm. up. And um, suddenly they had users and players, and 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 then very quickly that transformed into having a small business. Uh, and and at first that was great, but then the business became a business you had to run, and so. Okay. Uh, one of the challenges I think for a lot of people who love making a thing is they'll often confuse the aspect of making the thing with the totality of running their business. Mm-hmm. So, and as consumers, we often get the idea that like Coca-Cola equals this can of pop. Now we all know that if we think for a minute, of course, Coca-Cola is not equal to can of pop. There's all these <laughs> other aspects of Coca-Cola is HR and legal, and they own a whole bunch of real estate. And there's all these other aspects as part of that business. But I think we're pretty heavily kind of reinforced. And as consumers, it's not a bad thing to kind of equate companies with their products, but it's a very toxic equation to have as an entrepreneur because, you know, it's like the person who's like, oh, I'm going to open a restaurant. And you're like, oh, yeah, I've had your cooking. Your cooking's great. It's like, well, that's part of opening a restaurant, but that's actually <laughs> only a one part. There's yes. a bunch of other pieces you really need to worry about. Very, very small part. <laughs> so, yeah, so they they had run the business for four years when I joined them, and uh, I had kind of made this decision that I wanted to, to do this thing. And, um, and, yeah, a friend introduced us, and I remember actually the first time I met them, they had, um, it was a Monday, and the I went over to uh, Dave's place, and um, uh, Justin met me there. And Dave still had uh, his Pathfinder game from the night before; it was still set oh, up. Wow. I remember walking in and being like, "Okay, I'm in the right spot." 
Yeah, that, that's uh, it's kind of a precursor. That's pretty cool. I like that. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if that was a very good elevator pitch. Maybe that's a very oh no, hey, moment, that, I guess so. There you go. You you, you covered some some great stuff there. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you you gave you gave a good give a good one there. Um, but yeah, so you you guys started Codename Entertainment in 2012, which is like you know you started off on Facebook. That's that was like a fantastic time to become an independent developer because. Mm-hmm. Like that's when that kind of boom happened, but it wasn't that boom where like people were getting overflowed with things. It was just, oh, there's stuff to play. Let's play it. Yeah. yeah so well, that... like twenty. So Dave and Justin started in two thousand eight. So I was there. I joined in twenty twelve. And by okay. twenty twelve, definitely Facebook was shifting um, as a platform. Though for us, it was really where we had our kind of staple of stuff. We had they had launched shortly before I joined on Congregate.com, mm-hmm. and so they'd done some stuff there. And so, yeah, kind of, there's, there's been a lot of shifts between that moment and now. Like, the the great news is that you can be someone who comes up with an idea for a video game and get it out there. The bad news is that everyone can come up with ideas yeah, for video games exactly. and get them out there. And so there's, like, staggering amounts of sort of white noise. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I think we're, honestly, I think we're a little past kind of peak white noise now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's uh, just my opinion, but... I think that people talked about an indie apocalypse in the games industry for a bit. Um, and I think it pretty much did happen. I mean, it wasn't an apocalypse maybe in some, you know, meteorite killing all the dinosaurs sort of way. But um, <laughs> it, the, there are a whole bunch of game studios that I knew, um, you know, when I sort of first joined 2012. And, like, a whole bunch of them are gone now. Like, it has gotten more difficult. Mm-hmm. And then the flip side is, I think, with Epic and, you know, maybe... Kind of some of the other stores we'll see what happens there but there's actually been a shift back to if you're good at making content and you've got a track record it's actually i think a better time to kind of get into games now whereas there's a a couple years where it's just you know there were like Mm -hmm. 500 games going out a day on ios and 500 games going out on Mm -hmm. google and like just it was just this sort of white noise of stuff and so that's and Less. right now, Switch is getting hit. I mean, like, you take a look on a Thursday at, like, new releases, and yeah. it's, like, pages and pages and pages of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, there, but it, like, I think now, like, one of the things is, like, you know, with social media and, like, hyping stuff up, like, like Untitled Goose Game. I don't think that dude ever assumed that his game was <laughs> going to do what it did, but he put out one video that went viral of the goose, like, stealing the, the guy's keys, and everyone wanted it when it came out. Uh, it's definitely an interesting age for for indie indie developers. Yeah, um, but I think the challenge with that kind of stuff is, I mean, it's very hard. You can try, but I think it's very hard to engineer a video that will go viral. Oh yeah, and, absolutely. And so when I like, and so people who I'm kind of like, you know, luck is not a strategy. Like we can't build the <laughs> yeah. business around hoping that a certain thing happens. Like of course, yeah. I mean, if you think like you know, Apple, Google. Valve, um, Epic, I mean, any one of those companies, if they're like, I choose you mm-hmm. to make your thing a huge oh, yeah. success. And, and all that right. has to happen is they're going, I choose you. But that's basically you're just getting really lucky. Like, <laughs> it's like you didn't plan that. Yeah. There's no way to plan that to happen. There, I, I remember... I remember years and years ago, I mean, uh, at least I think it was probably about 10 years ago, I was listening to a podcast that had um, uh, Harley from uh, Epic Mealtime on it. 
and it had a couple other big YouTubers at the time. And the the host has like, how how does an aspiring YouTuber like make it? And Harley just kind of like cut everyone off. He's just like, you're lucky as shit. Like, <laughs> y- there is no strategy. I cannot sit here and tell you how to get to where I am. Uh, because it was pure dumb luck. And so, yeah, I, I think, I think that is, I think you're absolutely right. Where like, there are times where you can plan out things and like try and have this, you know, strategy to it. But as far as, yeah, that viral video of untitled goose game, he could not have planned that at all. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. no way he uploaded that. It was like, by the end of the day, I'll have a million views. <laughs> I mean, I, I've heard a, a variant on that response, which is, um, you know, how do I be successful YouTube or whichever the platform is. And it's like, invent a time machine, go back in time and get there when the platform is much earlier. Yeah, um, and it seems like there's this kind of trade-off for for those kind of things, which is um, you invest in time and resources, like you know, not necessarily money, but time and resources in a platform when it's very early days and it's very unproven. And maybe and there's a bunch of platforms that try to be things, and they all just go away. So maybe this will be one of them. You don't know at the time, mm-hmm. and maybe it takes off, in which case you're in a good spot if you also get lucky in other things. Or you wait until it's like, oh, clearly this is a thing. YouTube's yep. a thing, whatever. Yeah. But by that point. It's really hard because then unless you get blindingly lucky, it's pretty tough to sort of build a, especially if you want to, it's one thing if it's a hobby, it's another thing if you're like, you want to pay yourself. And then it's a whole other step if you're like, oh, I'm going to hire people. And so it's like, it's (laughs) one thing if you're like, oh, well, this month I'm not really making very much, but it's not, you can't like go to some employees and say like, oh, bad news this month. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so, uh, real quick, I did, I did want to talk about like the organizations that you're like president and on the board of, which is pretty awesome. Like, uh, the, the Viatech is, is it DigiBC? Is that how you say it? Yeah, actually I'm not really actively involved in any of those in the last bit just because okay. my life got so busy. A lot, lot so now maybe I should get more back involved because <laughs> I was traveling to, you know, a bunch of different packs and stuff, but yeah, but, I was, but still like the, like the the fact that you're like on these boards or higher up on it running these they're they from what i read of them because you know i didn't know about them before looking into you they sound like fantastic organizations yeah um, yeah i mean so i long ago i kind of really hit me that um you kind of you get the community that you help build mm-hmm. yeah. so um that's both a kind of a threat in some ways i guess <laughs> <laughs> You know, really, it's a powerful thing to say, what are things that I really care about? And I want to help build those things. And um, I've been very involved in the um, sort of the, the, the uh, video game industry more recently. But I really see that as a subset of the broader tech industry. And in my time um, here in Victoria, Victoria, BC, Canada, um, historically, and for all of my childhood and forever, tourism was the biggest industry here. Um, and during my time, tech has become the largest industry here to, to the point now that it's like five times larger than tourism. And that's all separate from COVID stuff, which is, of course is uh, creating a whole set of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Viatech is the uh, local tech association for the sort of greater Victoria area. So I was a board member and I chaired that organization for several years. And then DGBC is a provincial organization for um kind of creative tech industries. So it covers both video games and stuff like that, as well as digital animation, VFX, all that kind of stuff. And there's a huge amount of that. Actually, I knew there was 
a bunch in Vancouver. I did not realize exactly how much there is in Vancouver, but uh, you know, like Into the Spider Verse was like mm-hmm. wasn't written in Vancouver, but like all of the animation yeah. stuff yeah. was all <laughs> yeah. things like that. So yeah, and then IGDA is a great group. Um, I was on the board of the local chapter of IGDA, so IGDA is the uh, independent uh, game developers association, um, and so for individuals um so as compared to an industry association it's very much about industry associations tend to be about companies whereas the igda is about individuals and they they do host um uh several game jams um at least the one in victoria does um and then if for anyone is listening to this and thinking like hey i'd like to get involved in video games at some point um the the most important thing i would say to you is um get involved in game jams Game jams are a great way to make a game and, and realize that making a game is really hard. Playing yeah. a game, hopefully, is super easy in the sense, not necessarily easy, easy, but easy and it's easy to get into and it's fun and stuff like that. And never confuse the experience of making a video game with the experience of playing a video game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Will do so, but but game jams are a great way because it's kind of like just this creative thing. A bunch of people kind of get together today. A lot of them are virtual, so you can kind of certainly still do it today. Um, get together and be like, okay, Friday you won't have a game, and let's just divide up into teams. And by Sunday we'll have a game. Nice, that's awesome. Yeah, the what one of the so one of the other things that you do uh, with uh, with coding entertainment is the is the co ops for uh, students. Mm-hmm. Uh, where yeah, you take them on for a few uh, semesters. You uh, and. Uh, I, I read an article that was uh, that you were talking to about how like um, when you were in a software development one uh, going to kids and being like, hey, you should get into the software industry. They're just like, eh. and then you're, now you're just like, you should come uh, work in a video game industry. Oh, yeah, I want to go. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very true. That's very true. Yeah, I, I think it's I mean, that, that another thing I think to realize about the games industry is, um, I mean, it, it's. It's awesome, um, and I really love being in it. It's a highly competitive industry. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. So we we have a couple of postings that are up right now, and uh, God, we're getting inundated with resumes. Um, and even when we don't have any postings up, we get a bunch of resumes. Yeah. So um, one of the big things that we look for is uh, kind of culture fit. You know, mm-hmm. I might we do a well, we'll see what happens this year. But uh, normally we do an extra life campaign. You know, stay up for twenty four hours. Yep money for bc children's hospital is the one that we focus on here and um my kind of culture sort of my, my test sort of boils down to like okay it's four in the morning i've been up for a bazillion hours it feels like <laughs> and i want to play a board game is this person that we're interviewing someone who i'd invite over to play a board game with that's my kind of culture test nice and so the co-op is a great way to kind of both bring students in as well as sort of see if it's a good fit. And there's mm-hmm. several co-ops that we've hired, like I don't know, a bunch of our programmers previously were co-ops that, you know, once they graduated, we've hired. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a great program. I, I remember in high school, I, I got to do a job shadow for a uh, video game company down here in San Diego. They were Sammy Studios then, and now they're High Moon Studios. And I remember I got, to, I went in there, and like I got to sit with two programmers and they gave me like real talk about the industry. And I'm just <laughs> sitting there like 14 years old, just like, wow. <laughs> and I get home and my mom's like, how was it? I'm like, I'm stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh. I, I, I did not realize what really it takes to make a game. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, people, I think, often equate 
Like I have people ask me like, oh, you know, what do you do? Oh, I work in video games. Oh, that must be fun. And, you know, because, you know, I'm not a jerk. I don't be like, why are you saying that? Like, why do you make that statement? You know, and, and it's it's a casual kind of thing and they're just being yeah. polite or whatever. Um, but if you sort of unpack it, I think what's really happening is people do often equate like, oh, video games. And the only thing that they know about them is playing them. And yeah. it, it, I hope they're fun if they're done a good job. So that's the only kind of reference point that they have. And um, and so, yeah, you kind of unpack that and you're like, oh, you know, it's not. And, and it does like it doesn't matter if you're not going to go make games. But if you're going to make games and you get into it and you realize how hard it is, um, you can then get discouraged. And that's what I don't want to have people. Mm-hmm. I, I want them to know yeah. what they're getting into so they don't get discouraged when they find out how hard it is. Because like the crazy thing about games is that you, you know, you make this thing, but it's not the 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 the, the thing that you're actually providing isn't in this instance, like idle champions, what you're actually providing is the emotional experience that someone has in relation to the thing that you provided. And you're doing it at scale with thousands of people who you will never see a bunch of them. Like we do a whole bunch of community stuff and a lot of people you will never see. And so like that is super hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like things that you're like, that's, uh, we thought that would be fun. And it just really isn't. (laughs) (laughs) as as someone in the uh in the destiny community i see a lot of uh of the the other side of that from the from uh, video game communities um but but yeah so let's let's hop over to talking about working with wizards of the coast so you you got announced the deal in 2017 but i'm curious like how did that come about like how did idol champions like become a thing that you were like hey wizards let's work um so we had never worked with a a licensor before um and uh we had done a game before this crusaders lost idols and i was thinking like ah you know this there's several things that it kind of that that sort of style of game needs where you're doing all this live service and stuff like that because like we're putting out content like almost every week is going new content is going out so you need like a huge amount of content um and i was kind of thinking of a world that'd be sort of a good fit we'd done a bunch of stuff with um a group called uh, quantic foundry uh, which studied gaming motivations and things like that and so um we'd done a bunch of research work with them and a guy named nikki who's talks that's in gdc and absolutely thought he's just fantastic and that's another great resource for people who are interested in such things nikki does a bunch of blog stuff Quantic boundaries really interesting. Um, and so we kind of, the kind of games that we were making, when you thought about them in these very abstract ways, really boiled down to sort of this RPG progression loop of like, get a quest, do some stuff, turn in quests, get more powerful, get a harder quest. So that mm-hmm. loop. And then the other thing, which was, you know, get better gear, collect all the things, so this collection loop. Um, and so I, I felt very strongly that that was actually... It, though it didn't appear on the surface of it, was like a really strong overlap to actually RPGs and tabletop RPGs. And of course, you know, D&D, particularly, you know, Forgotten Realms, there's just so much history there. There's mm-hmm. just this pile of content that we could work with. And what I liked was um, uh, Wizards of the Coast is in Seattle and we're in Victoria. Um, and so it, it was easier to get down there. And I was kind of like, oh, you know, we're both, you know, the people I'll deal with would be speaking English and I speak English. And so I'm not having to deal with culture stuff, especially because I've never done this kind of thing before. So it was ways of 
kind of de-risking kind of the idea like mm-hmm. okay well let's let's take this risk off and this risk off and this risk off and so it seemed like it would be a good fit and so then yeah chatting with them um and kind of explaining what what the vision was and, and why we thought it would be a great fit so yeah and i was just over the moon honestly when they when they were like yeah you know let's let's give this thing a try so <laughs> what, what was was there ever a point where like it suddenly hit you that you're like oh my god i'm working on a D video game or like was it just there the whole time <laughs> um, well when we were going through kind of preparing kind of like just fleshing out the vision, some pitch documents and some uh, prototype art and stuff like that. I kept saying to everyone, I'm like, okay, let's just assume this falls through. Yeah, we'll work on it and we'll do our best work. <laughs> let's not put our heart into it. And I was certainly talking to myself as much as I was <laughs> And then, yeah, I remember. And then when we were getting it ready, we ended up underestimating how much art we would need to do. Mm-hmm. And so we weren't, we weren't doing terrible crunch, but it was definitely a fair amount of work the summer leading in because we launched in September. Um, and so that summer we were like doing a whole bunch of long hours and, and I, it was artists mostly, I was mostly here providing moral support and ordering dinner and stuff like that. <laughs> Being the bard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Very much a support class. And, uh, <laughs> and so I was, uh, yeah, I remember one time I was just looking at this list of, Dungeons and Dragons licensed video games on Wikipedia and thinking like, wow, we're going to have a game on that list. (laughs) (laughs) But then I remember um, I was also, I was just petrified that we would release it and people would go like, oh, this is just some cheap knockoff license, blah, 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 you know, kind of stuff. Um, Which, I mean, I could get that some people, I mean, not everyone's going to agree with everything you do. And so I, I, I would get that some of that, but like I was, I was really nervous at like many, I didn't think that that was going to be the case, but I was just really worried about that because it's just, um, you know, it's a franchise that I love so deeply and it's been mm-hmm. so important to me for so many years that to, to have someone kind of say that I was just, I was, I was just, just absolutely <laughs> petrified of, but thankfully hey, it, it's worked out. out. So yeah, I know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I think back to kind of that summer and kind of, I remember driving one of our artists home and talking about it and just being like oh she's like well some people won't like it i'm like yeah i can't handle some people not liking it (laughs) like a lot of people don't like it that'll be very sad well, one of the things you brought up was uh, was like the art for it, um, and you know, despite you know underestimating like at the beginning how much art you would need, the art for the game is fantastic and probably one of the most like recognizable things about it. Like if I see mm-hmm. any of the characters on uh, on Twitter, I know that I'm like, oh, that's from Idol Champions because the art style is so unique, but still yeah. so distinctly D and D. Yeah, yeah, we're. Um... We're really lucky. Adam Adam Kosh, who's our art director, came up with that, so I can take zero credit for that. It's all Adam <laughs> I've been working with a very talented team of folks. Um, Alexis and uh, Michelle were the two people who were like, and Kat were doing a lot of the heavy lifting, kind of to get all that ready um, back when we we're getting ready to launch. But uh, but yeah, that style was very much kind of Adam's Adam's personal style, and Adam also has played a lot of D and D. Actually, was her running a Christmas drive campaign that he was running in the office. So yeah, so he had a lot of connection <laughs> to sort of what D&D is and what it's about and stuff like that. Um, so, and then it was fun because more or less just as a fluke, like certainly not planned, we realized that because of the line style of the art, 
we could just easily make these coloring sheets. So oh, yeah. putting out all these <laughs> They've been so pieces. much fun too. They really have. <laughs> and then our, our, you know, before everything hit, our booths at like PAX and stuff like that would have all of these coloring sheets. Mm-hmm. We're decorating them with like thousands of coloring sheets all around. Like it's really quite a breathtaking thing. Oh yeah. And just <laughs> how much detail some people, not everyone of course, but a lot of people end up spending a lot of time. And it was interesting seeing how how much coloring how accessible coloring is across such a broad spectrum. Mm-hmm. When I tried it, I was kind of like, oh, like Mitra and I used to take our kids to gaming conventions when they were younger. Um, and then they got older, but when they were younger. So I kind of had these visions of like, oh, you know, I saw a coloring table. I had young kids and their kids were getting a little squirrely. Like, oh, okay, let's go sit down here, kids. Just sit down and, here. <laughs> you know, I, was, I had some kind of, some ideas of who would be drawn to it. And then certainly that some of that happened, but like, it was like, you know, people all dressed out and, you know, goth stuff and people like in their 20s and 30s and like, like, like uh, listeners every... can't see it, but, uh, but the, the, the Nintendo Switch one that I did for now. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, like the, 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 you're talking about like the detail. I'm like, when I decided that on the chain, uh, chain mail that I was going to do opposite red and blue, I'm like, about like three of them and I went, I made a terrible mistake. <laughs> Why did I do this to myself? <laughs> Yeah, so it's been, it's been interesting because, yeah, it's definitely... I think the one challenge of the art style is that um, it, uh, because it's very light and fun, people can mistakenly think that Idol Champions is like, oh, I just put some guys down and level them up. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, that's part of it. <laughs> this really deep level of kind of understanding how to build out your formations, which is really mm-hmm. the fun game because i think just you know put some stuff down and you know pick up a bit of gold is is fun for a very little bit but it's not kind of something that's going to engage people for i feel like look on steam like they're you know eleven thousand, fifteen thousand hours in the game so i was definitely one of those people at the beginning that did not know that stuff like i Ali, like I I played it when it first came out Mm -hmm. and I didn't understand clicker games like at all or idle games. Um, And I was like, I would play this a lot if it was on my phone and I just kind of stopped playing it and because I didn't get it. And then Ali was playing it on her Xbox and I was watching her playing it. I'm just like, oh, whoa, this this is really cool. (laughs) And so I started I, I was just like, oh, I've got it on Steam. I'll just start playing it on there again. So I started playing it and like two days later Allie walks by my computer and she goes oh buddy no and she just <laughs> moves my characters around and this boss I was beating my head against just insta dies I go oh mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah like growing up uh, it's mostly large and thanks to my dad like I gained a huge love of games that makes me think similar to like chess to where mm-hmm. it's like depending on what the pieces each do it depends on where they should be and so it's like if any game kind of incorporates that into it, I'm I'm in it <laughs> and like I live for it. And so I just remember sitting there just meticulously looking at each character's like opportunities and what they do and each thing. And this was like way before the game came out, too. So it was like before feats or anything, too. I was just like, wow, oh, God, there's God. so much to this game. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting because when we first uh, were launching it, we were talking about kind of clicker games and idle games and stuff like that. And then, so, you know, people, you know, idle game, or, you know, Idle Champions of Forgotten Realms is an idle game, for example, set in the D&D world was one of the things we used at the beginning. And what we found was that that wasn't actually a very helpful description. It was much better to talk about as a strategy management game. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Because if people do understand clickers and idle games, they're like, oh, wait a minute, I kind of see these mechanics, which is great, and then you kind of talk in that language. But if they don't, you can really focus on, in, in my mind, what the game is, which is like it's, it's fundamentally this puzzle, and it's how do you build this formation with a whole bunch of different sets of characters and then a bunch of different kinds of constraints as you do all the mm-hmm. different versions of the objectives. Um, you know, it's, it's really figuring out that puzzle is the game. Yeah. That's, that's the game piece. One of the one of the ways I used uh, to describe it to someone uh, was because like their idea of an idle or clicker game is like the normal like mobile one where it's just like you're just tapping the button or you're you don't have slots you're just you have your people there whatever and you purchase something and you carry on <laughs> yeah and, and and I was like and I was gushing about uh, about idle champions and this is before the partnership or anything like that not that that changed how much I gush uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so. I was telling someone like how like how much debt there's like well how much debt could there really be to it? Uh, okay, and I said okay, I have a I, I have it on my iPhone. There's so much processing that it's doing because of numbers I'm I'm having it do that it's trying to set my phone on fire. Like feel how <laughs> hot this is. Well, I got a new phone, so it doesn't set it on fire, so it's fine. Uh, (laughs) You look at like the fan things, like the huge Google Sheets that people put together, and or that you know the. I'll occasionally I'll post point people who are like, "Oh, this game's got to be really simple." I'm like, "Well, take a few minutes to check out the Reddit, or take a few minutes to check out the game Discord, and just have a look at some of the formation strategy guys that are in Mm -hmm. there." Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, Yeah. this is like the first game where I really find myself reading in depth the the, the update notes. <laughs> because I'm Which like, oh, we occasionally, then, occasionally then forget to update a piece, and then our various people are like, hey, you forgot to include this in the patch notes. Because <laughs> they read it so closely. <laughs> I, I told this on the episode uh, with, with uh, Ryan Hall on, but like when I first got into the game, I I was actually using sheets that he put out, and I didn't realize that until the day we we had the the, the episode <laughs> to record. I was like, oh my god, this was Mars! It was him. <laughs> he helped me out with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been great actually because yeah, we're doing stuff with both uh, Mars and Garwar, who have mm-hmm. been such great parts of the community, and so they've got streams that we're doing with them as part of it. And I think it's just. It's, it's, I mean, it's it, the, the level of kind of like we can kind of talk about it, but at a point, it's better to have a player who's super into it talk about it because, like, it's weird, you know, when we think about the game, because we see the game as it currently is, plus you have kind of things that you hoped it would be that it's not necessarily coming into, and then things that are coming but aren't actually out publicly, and then things that are even further out, and <laughs> like, oh, we think. Well, and yeah. so you, you kind of see this weird temporal mix of the game in a way that, like, you know, a player is like, oh, there, there, there is the game, you know? Yeah, no, like, like it, it, I, I kind of imagine it how, like, me as a DM hear my players talk about the game where they'll reminisce about something that happened in Waterdeep and I'll be like, oh yeah, they totally missed that thing that over there or I could have used that other villain here or Mm -hmm. I I see all of these other things that they have no freaking idea about but it's way more enjoyable to to have them talk to someone about that game (laughs) than me. (laughs) Yeah, Well, yeah, I think, I mean, I I totally agree. I remember I was at... um, I had the chance to go down to PAX Australia once and uh, met with someone who was like super into Crusaders at the time. And, um, and we were chatting 
And they were like asking these really detailed questions because they're big into kind of like all this analysis and stuff on it. And they're asking this very detailed question, like, oh, why did you this one choice? And I remember like trying to say, like, like I don't I don't mean to burst your bubble, but like there was a couple of choices that we had to choose from. It was like Friday afternoon and we had to make a choice because we just really wanted to go home <laughs> for the weekend. And none of them seemed to be really clear. Like sometimes it's clear which choice you should make, but it was like, well, they all seemed out the same. So we just chose to go with that one. Like it really wasn't like, it was like oh, just, I'm like, well, yeah, we had done thought. But then at the end of the day, it was like a, it's Friday at four and we're like we're wrapping up and go home now. So you just got to make a choice. So yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think your analogy of being a DM is a, is a very apt one. The difference between the experience like players buy into the reality of the world mm-hmm. and you work yeah. very hard for that and 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 your players in a video game buy into the reality of it but at the end of the day that reality breaks down if you're on the dev side i mean partially because you could just add anything you want to your accounts you know I, mean, <laughs> I, I assume this is not a big surprise to people but ultimately your account is stored as a database record and those records you know, we, we, you know, we modify them through game logic for people who are players. But for us, it's kind of like a DM. It's like, I can have infinite power. I can do anything. Yeah. I want. <laughs> oh, yeah. the, the game for, for us both as a dev or as a DM is really to create experiences that players find really fun. It's yeah. not about like, oh, wow, look, now I get to be a god. It's like, yeah. <laughs> oh, like... <laughs> All right, well, we are going to take a break real quick, and we're going to uh, move over to our spotlight, which this week is uh, the Codename Entertainment streaming schedule. Um, If you are unaware, if you play Isle Champions and you don't know this, they have an amazing set of shows that they uh, broadcast on Twitch during the week, uh, which can either, you know, help you uh, learn the game or show you some things you didn't know you could do in the game or Mm -hmm. make some pancakes. Uh, <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> um, so, so let's see. Tuesday uh, at uh, one p.m. to three p.m. is Bardic Inspiration, which is uh, one of the newer shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Wednesday is Mars's Guiding Hand, which is uh, Ryan Hall, like we've had on the podcast. His stream is one p.m. to three p.m. And then now on Wednesdays, announced just yesterday. Well, yesterday for you, tomorrow for us. <laughs> and, uh, is uh, is Evergreen Champions with uh, Satine Phoenix, uh, and that's gonna be at ten a.m. to twelve p.m. It also has Margaret on there, who's awesome and uh, is one of my favorite people to talk to <laughs> when, uh, when it comes to social media stuff. Um, and that one is going to be the, so that new show is, uh, introducing people to the game, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's why evergreen champions is sort of, I'm not sure how public it is that terminology, but we use that internally to refer to the, mm-hmm. you know, the 12 base champion. Yeah. So you haven't unlocked like a million different event champions, <laughs> and all that stuff. So, yeah. Uh, and then Thursdays, there is Crusaders Weekly at 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., which is for the uh, Lost, Lost Crusaders. Crusaders Lost game. Idols, yeah. yeah. Like Crusaders Lost Idols, that's it. Uh, and then uh, later that day at 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. is the Idol Champions live stream, which is the mainstay one. Uh, and then Friday is Griddle Champions from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. If you have not watched this, please go watch this. It is <laughs> yeah. amazing. So every, if you don't know, every weekend, uh, Idle Champions has a set of heroes who get like a, a buff or like you know special thing. And so to reveal this, <laughs> Lee, what, what, what is it? Lee, what's his Goldberg. last name? I can't remember. Goldberg, yeah, okay. Uh, Lee Goldberg draws out the champions for that weekend in Pancake. And it is yep, some of it's... the most mesmerizing Twitch stream <laughs> you so will good. ever see in your life. And it's so much fun just sitting there just like, all right, who is it? Who is it? Is it Archon? I think it's Archon. 
<laughs> also, Lee is is a fantastic person to talk to online. He's he's a great guy. Uh, and then from one p.m. to three p.m. also on Friday is uh, Gwar's. Is it Gar Garwars? We say Garwar, yeah. Garwars, yeah. Garwars <laughs> Guide to Everything, uh, which is another stream to help you out and learn all those fancy little moves and things that I don't know about. I literally tuned in to Ryan Hall's uh, uh, Mars Guide hand uh, yesterday and learned something just by looking at his screen and I felt dumb and I was like, you know, th this is why you should this is why you should watch these things. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. Yeah, a lot to it. It's funny actually when we um so I'd seen Lee do some pancakes uh, at one of the DD Live events and um and you don't know if you don't watch it because he has to do them backwards so he does the layout and then he yeah. sort of mm -hmm. Up and so it's actually easiest to see at the beginning when he's kind of laying it out, like just doing the outline. But then it gets more and more abstract, and then finally you can't see it at all. And then he flips it over, and it's it's, it's just amazing to see. And so I had the chance to see it in person. I'm like, this is like super mesmerizing. And um, I was right at the beginning of all the COVID stuff happening, and Lee had posted something about like, oh, I, I um. I've lost my, or I, one of my, he's had a side gig that had gone away. And um, so I messaged him like, it's like su a Sunday and I'm like, Hey, would you be interested in doing a stream with us where you make pancakes based around you know, characters <laughs> in our game? And he's like, yeah, you know, sure. That'd be great. So like on Monday, I'm like, Hey, I got a new stream idea. And everyone's like, <laughs> that you was, oh my God. Do what? And everyone's like, <laughs> this is just going to be boring or I don't, and I'm like, no, you haven't seen the pancake. It'll be great. <laughs> Eric, I have Eric, to say I'm trying to imagine my boss coming up to me and being like, I've got an idea about pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> they just looked at me like I was crazy. Um, I, I'll be honest. As soon as you guys announced that, I went, that's brilliant. Griddle champions. <laughs> mm -hmm. Are you kidding me? That is amazing. I was on board from the get go. And like <laughs> so much so that, that during the D and D live, when they had the cooks on there, um, I, I was like, why isn't Lee Goldberg on here making pancakes? And my wife goes, because they're, they're the authors of the cookbook. I'm like, that doesn't matter. Why isn't he on here? <laughs> I want to make a pancakes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so so that is the, the streaming schedule for Codename Entertainment. Go check them out. Uh, especially go check out Evergreen Champions on Wednesday. It's the new show that's coming out. Uh, give them some, some viewership and all that fun stuff. Um, real, uh, real quick, we're going to do our champions loot because, Yay. uh, you know, we hide it in places now, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, this is a really crazy, uh, champions loot for us because we got to pick the code Yeah, <laughs> and that is uh, blowing our minds because that uh, it's crazy enough that we get to give out codes to y'all, but we, this is actually our code. This is our code. Mm -hmm. uh, also, this is for two gold chests. Look at that. Oh, getting, getting ritzy. <laughs> so the code for this week is R-E-A-D-T-H-E-T-A-B-L-E. -E. That's right. Read the table. Read the say table. Say it all the time on here. <laughs> you read the table. Know what, know what your players are, are, are talking about and how they're feeling. Uh, but yeah, go put that code into Idle Champions on any of the numerous places you can play this awesome game and get mm -hmm. two free gold chests on us and then take a screenshot and send it to us. Show us all those purples and shinies and all that fun stuff you're getting. I'm so excited to put that in my own game. I am so <laughs> Oh my God, I'm going to lose. <laughs> I already lost. 
I already lost it once when I got to put in a code. I'm just like, this is this is from a podcast, and I got a gold chest for it. That's awesome. And it's like, <laughs> I, I, we picked out these, these letters. <laughs> sorry. It's sorry. great advice, too, I think, actually. You know, reading the table <laughs> is, like, super important. Certainly one of the, you know, anything. I, I, I think it's great you guys are saying that all the time. Because, like, anytime I talk to someone who's, like, going to DM their first game, I'm like, remember, it's about having fun, mm-hmm. making shit up. And making sure your players are having a good time. So if you're watching your, that's nothing is more important than watching your players and oh, yeah. being able, making sure that they're having a great time. That we 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 have said for a long time that if we ever make shirts, the first shirt we're making is read the table. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Um, all right, so uh, we we we're we're going a little long here, but I I I want to talk to you about D and D. You know, you know, just as it is for a little while. It, you put out this amazing blog post a while ago about your first D and D game back in theater <laughs> school with this with this with this picture, this like professional picture of you as a child looking like you're straight out of Stranger Things. <laughs> that was a school. That was a school photo. Yeah, me at twelve years old. With that. It's, it's my, I'll tell you this: yeah. you look cooler than all of my school photos because you're not wearing a Star Wars shirt and you don't have a bowl cut. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, you you put out this you put out this blog post about like you know you got into D in theater camp which is just the most nerdy thing you can say as a child and i love it um <laughs> but one of the one of the questions i wanted to ask you real quick is do, do, do you remember what your character's name was like what what you had there oh god no i mean probably an elf because that would have been sort of my go-to um but i we only played like i think we played like twice and it was kind of lunchtime breaks mm-hmm. in the midst of mm-hmm. kind of theater camp so really not an ideal setting for honestly something that has a session length of like three to but four hey, hours right it, it was enough to hook you though yeah yeah but but what i'm saying is the reason i didn't remember is because we did like a little bit and all my brain stored was this is the most powerful thing i'm so into this and clearly the only job you would ever want is to be the dm <laughs> i don't know what <laughs> And I remember like years later thinking like, like, cause I DM'd from that point forward, basically all the way until I started my first company was really when I stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, cause then I got busy with all that craziness, mm-hmm. but I remember like being like in, I don't know, maybe grade 10 or 11 and, and thinking to myself, like, I better not tell these people how fun DMing is or because then I won't be like, <laughs> like, I'm just glad they don't figure it out. But everyone else seems so happy just to be players. So, so yeah, I can, but I do remember like my first game, where I was DMing incredibly clearly. And I remember it was like, I, I made this kind of misty island that they had to go across the water to, and there was a goblin thing they had to kill there. And and I actually, at this point, because I was so excited to do it, I didn't have any of the rules. And I was like super broke. So I didn't have any rules. I didn't have any of the dice. I just grabbed like D6s from like Monopoly and stuff like that. <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, we had all my friends around and stuff like that. And and I could remember, like, it started out okay. Like, and we, like, you literally just wrote down, like, there's no character sheets. You wrote, you know, strength. And then you wrote, th- rolled 3d6. None of this kind of, like, I remember it was like, oh, you hear people are rolling 4d6 and taking away one. It's like, whoa, oh, my God. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, did you know you could actually move the stats and not be in the order that you rolled them, which was the other thing that we ended up doing. So, we, you know, so we rolled them all up. And then, like, so at first it was okay. And then I remember partway through, like, I remember going, like, oh, I don't think these they're really seeing what I'm trying to say. Like it's not working and they're starting to figure out that I know nothing about what I'm doing, which is was certainly the case. And so I started making the descriptions 
instead of trying to kind of follow some idea of what it was, I just started making more descriptions, more and more. And this is all like 12 year old boys. So they were <laughs> me and the green blood splatters on your face and it's warm. Mm-hmm. And, it and I remember describing this one thing and they rolled and then they took off the head of the goblin who was the big bad guy. And I remember the moment when they did it and me describing what happened and realizing this thing that literally I was completely making up on the spot was concrete reality in their minds. And that to me was like the distillation of kind yeah. of everything around D and D. And, and I like, you know, so 12 year old Eric just kind of like you say this stuff and make it up and it becomes concrete for them. In this incredibly powerful way. And I was just like, oh, yeah. right. so then yes, I did end up getting D and D books later and all that stuff. But yeah, I, like I literally had nothing, no dice. <laughs> just d6s that i found i didn't even call them d6s i mean they're just the dice that you had in monopoly or something yeah. mm-hmm. um you just so... had the concept of an rpg and you went with it <laughs> I love that. yeah yeah exactly. like literally two two one-hour sessions or so and i'm like okay let's just go <laughs> i've got it i'm good um so so mainly, mainly for for time we're, we're, i i do want to like focus this down into to one thing uh that uh that we talked about previously is you love making props you love making ephemera for your games uh how did you like get it like when did you start doing that oh oh i've stumped him always <laughs> like when didn't i do it i mean i don't <laughs> I was thinking about it actually because we had a chance to chat about this um, before uh, we were on the, our, our podcast today, and um, I was kind of thinking about our discussion, and it really, like, I've never, I've never been, I've never felt that I was a particularly good writer, and you know, I read great books, and I'm like, ah, oh, I can't do that, um, and you know, but I've always been into kind of theater, and my my first degree, as we talked about, was or my degree, my only degree is in uh, painting, and so like making things and i never really honestly don't really would frame it as like storytelling through those things but but you know that's always just kind of been the way that i could express myself was through those things and so you know always making like it's so much easier now with computers and printers and things like that like so so, yeah you you kind of like burn the edge of the paper and make old maps and stuff like that but i've been doing that forever i think it's just a very natural way for me to do something because i never felt i could write kind of a narrative that would be really engaging or interesting. And then also I found a lot of the narratives that like, I didn't feel it was really my job to write that for the players. I felt it was my job to just provide enough evocative stuff that the players could then write a narrative mm-hmm. after the fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so really what it sounds like what you're saying is like the, 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 the props and ephemera and stuff like that is, is you trying to elicit more story from them. It, yeah, it's, yeah. It's like th- this, this is here. It's connected to the story, but it's so that you can pull more story out of it for yourself. Yeah, I, I think it's yeah. I mean, I just I love making them, and and I think Ali, when we were chatting, you had mentioned that it was like world building through these sort of physical yeah. environments and physical objects and stuff. And and for me, I think that's like I was reflecting on it when we played those first two um, episodes of uh, uh, Curse of Strahd, and just the number of physical things that I did my, cause I'm co-DMing with my wife. We talked a lot about, uh, she used to be a pastry chef. And we, so we talked a lot about the different food that people would be eating. And we're kind of like, okay, let's differentiate different groups by different, having different kinds of bread. And so, you know, she, we kind of planned a bunch of that. And so she made these kind of like flatbread, which would be kind of like the sort of 
dry and sort of more kind of village of Barovia, that's what you're going to get in the tavern there as compared to the dream pastries and kind of what those are going to look like. And then they have a sequence of the Vistani beforehand because that was my hook coming in. And the Vistani are actually already in Sword Coast. And so they've got a different set of bread. And so kind of, you know, sort of world building that the players can then create stories around those pieces is a oh, big yeah. way of how I both engage. And it's also, I was thinking about it because it's also kind of like, at least for me, I'm always like, I always get to play D&D. Like, there's this table time, and there's all this other time of doing all this props and thinking about stuff and planning it all out, which is all, to me, playing d and I'm like, I get to play it a lot. So, <laughs> anyways. Mm-hmm. No, I love that because especially using food, that is like a number one way to get into someone's head because yeah. you're. it's a great way to introduce an entirely new story too because you're shifting from... I think you were saying you guys were playing a lot of Waterdeep-based games, and all of a sudden you're shifting to like an entirely different game. And so getting someone into that mindset, using food is such a great way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, food's so powerful for people. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I don't know if I don't know if he talked about it on the ep- any of the episodes he was on, but I know Justice talked to us about uh, Justice Armin was on, and he, um, at one point he told us about he did a game where like it started with his players at uh, like meeting this devil and like but the devil had laid out a full banquet for them so he and his wife literally made that banquet (laughs) and had it waiting on the table when the players arrived and like they sat and they ate and they like uh and like i'm like that's just that is such an amazing thing to do to just pull you even more into that world because mm-hmm. it's like it's one thing to make a decision as a character like okay no we're not going to deal with this guy but you're there in the mindset and physical body of like mm-hmm. we're here sitting at a table talking to this guy <laughs> maybe we should at least hear him out <laughs> and so, it's just the, the concept of that is so brilliant i love it yeah we also oh, time yeah. when the dream pastries would when that sort of encounter would happen without getting all spoilery to when we knew everyone was going to be hungry so, I love it. Oh my god! And, you know, and it was funny because several of them talked about it afterwards, and they're like, "You know, if it wasn't real, if it was my character, I would have said like, oh, abstractly, sure, no, I'm not going to have this imaginary thing.' But because it was all warm and right there, and I'm not, I'm like, <laughs> that's so messed up. But I will anyways. <laughs> I actually did this when we were in the Waterdeep one. So my wife's the campaign that I was running with her. And our friends was very heavily food based. And so they have a bakery in Waterdeep. And like the first quest line was all around food and to f- get all these things, ingredients for this uh, a set of bread that they need to make. And I made up a recipe thing and stuff for them. And so one of the pieces that they had was there was um, a spy who was um, having to convey information to them, but couldn't meet with them because he's deep undercover. And so they attended this banquet. And for the dessert of the banquet, um, you would get, I, I got these chocolates, and then I did a speech. And in the speech, I equated flavors with clues. And then you had Ooh. chocolate in the order it was presented and guess which each of the flavors were <laughs> and remember which of the clues the flavor tied to. Oh, that's a whole uh, nother oh level of God. puzzle. Like, I love yeah. it. <laughs> well, it's super cool. That ties uh, really well into the next question I had actually for both of you. Uh, both of you are, you know, you do the, the prop stuff. I I, I buy things because I'm dumb. Uh, and, uh, I buy things too. Well, yeah. no, no. I, I mean, like, like, I, like, whiz kids make something. I'm just like, I will own it and I will have it. Um, <laughs> I don't know where that voice came from. But, <laughs> but what I wanted to ask was, how do you guys pick 
what you're gonna make like what what you're gonna you know reach into that world and pull out for your table that you feel is going to pull them in more because i mean like for me one of the reasons i don't is because i get so overwhelmed trying to think of that i was like oh well I, I could get a coin and that could be like the gold oh but i don't have enough of them or so like i don't how do you guys pick what you're gonna do um for me it's this little abstract but it's something that not only i would be proud of but something that the players would be too so like for example i'm i'm building this boat that they're going to be sailing on throughout the entire thing. They're calling it the Twilight Star because it's this dark smuggling ship that only three of them can pilot. And so it's like, I'm building that. And I know when I put it on the table and they see it, they're going to be like, that's our ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're going to look at that and they're going to be very protective of it. And I know that just seeing it physically is going to just instill that protectiveness in them and the concept that this is a real thing for us. Um, otherwise things that would just incite that feeling of like this is ours this is real like I made a full letter that I had because my handwriting is terrible I had Tara your your wife my sister (laughs) write the actual cursive and really pretty handwriting from for one of my PC's parents uh because she's this huge noble in Waterdeep and like she has crazy good connections and she's asking her daughter like hey you need to spy on your friend never remember for me because uh he's got something that I want and it was like this letter just dripping with like I'm really proud of you for helping us and Tara wrote it in such a beautiful like calligraphy and when I gave it to Taylor I'm like hey this is from your mom and she's looking at it. It's like this old school paper. It's got a wax seal. And she's just like looks up at me and goes, oh, this is really from my mom. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and she just like, she hid it from the entire group, like at the table. They didn't know that she had it. And she's like, you guys don't know. This is this is very me. <laughs> and it was just that getting that kind of reaction is, is what makes me choose what pieces I want to bring into physicality i guess um i one thing that i just love to do because it's just fun is print out maps Mm. because like i have this old school map that i got from the dms guild and it looks really cool i got it originally for storm king's thunder but i printed it out it's hanging up and there was this puzzle where someone was scrying on a drow trying to figure out where he is because he has um essentially a really important piece of storm king's thunder Mm. and they're like okay well where is he i'm like okay well you scry on him and he's actually on a mountaintop and i describe where he is like in in the the scenery beyond him and they're like wait can we see the map and all of the players were at the table <laughs> literally looking at this map trying to figure out where it could be and that moment where i just sat back for 15 minutes watching them talk to each other pouring over this map like it's literally a scene out of D. you see the characters pointing at a map talking to each other like is this where we need to go and i'm like this is this is why i dm this is great <laughs> <laughs> like this is why i bring these elements to the table and but yeah that's 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 really what i aim for is mm-hmm. to get like those purposeful reactions <laughs> what, what what about you eric yeah oh, i think ali just absolutely you know that's a great answer and <laughs> yeah it's certainly and the most important things are those things that just have that deep emotional resonance for people um uh, we, when we were finishing Waterdeep Dragon Heist, um, 
I had uh, come up with this idea of doing this kind of letter of marquee. And uh, for that one, my, my wife, Mitra, would guest as uh, the open lord, who they had met a few times. First time, it was not a very happy meeting after uh, various <laughs> events. I guess I'd be somewhat spoilery. Um, but then, but by the, by the end, you know, they're sort of in, in, in a good place and they've solved the adventure. And so we kind of surprisingly presented one of these kind of written things, each of them. And, um, and literally one of my players was in tears uh, over happiness of just like, oh my God, like, you know, I've done this thing for the open Lord. And we're like just sitting in our living room with some chairs I pulled in from the dining room. Like it's certainly, but you know, it's just, it's, it's enough to transport a person into that place. Um, I think it's just so super powerful. So yeah, though, I mean, I do also just make props that I like. So, <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fair. It's totally that fair. Yeah. Like a fun thing. I wonder if I could pull that off. Cause I think I like a lot of like prop making, cosplay, all that kind of stuff is partially like, Huh? How would I do that? You know, through. <laughs> but then I have this reservoir of things I can be like, oh, I can throw this over here now because I've got the thing. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, I, I, the the most that I get into with like any kind of like quote unquote prop maybe is just painting minis. Like I found mm-hmm. that to be like my zen thing because um, I because I know with my wife Tara, like her zen thing is drawing out those maps. Uh, you know making the paper look old and worn like I, I remember the first time she made a prop was a letter and she handed it to my buddy kyle and he opens it and looks at it and he goes did did this come with the book and she's like no i made that he goes holy shit <laughs> that was his because i because i had been the one dming him for for years and and i didn't do that stuff so like this was him four years into playing D and the first time he's handed a prop he's like i didn't know you could do this <laughs> i didn't know there's a thing you could do <laughs> so yeah i i can totally get uh eliciting those reactions it, it is a little bit harder on my end having like a purely skype group but uh it, you, you're making me think like i could probably do a few things though and and get that because i i you're, you're saying with the boat like that that's ours like my players just said goodbye to the captain of an airship that they had been traveling on for a year and I was like, man, it would have been really cool if I had actually like gotten digitally made like that ship so that they could see it and have it in the background and like know it and everything like that. So that, that that's given me a few ideas for like stuff that I could do with them that's within my realm of possibility. <laughs> so I, I just want to mention one thing that it's kind of extra. Um, but so one of my players, he's the one that doesn't live in San Diego. And so he's not able to get to the table, but He's been Skyping or Discording in and with us this whole time. Recently, his player sent a letter of like asking this cleric of mask, like, I need information from you because you told me something months ago and I need I just I've been focusing on it so hard. And so I actually have a letter written up that I'm going to physically send him okay. as a response. <laughs> You've just blown my mind. <laughs> Great. Like I asked him, oh like, "Hey, buddy, God. can you give me your address again?" He's like, "Why?" I'm like, "I oh, no reason." <laughs> oh man, yeah. Okay, this is this is, this has opened my mind. I'm thinking of things now. <laughs> so one thing, um, if you want to make at least paper stuff, which is what I end up doing a lot of things with, um, I got. Uh, well, my wife got, but she was like, "What do you want for Christmas?" A couple years ago, and I'd always wanted to get one of the wide format printers. And I've been looking, but I didn't want to spend like 10 grand on some printers. I'm like, uh, I love D&D, but I don't love it. <laughs> <laughs> I 
good. If I don't know, it's just going to be really helpful. But uh, wide format printers have gotten a lot cheaper, and so it was, I think, a couple hundred dollars. Um, and it prints up to 13 inches by 19 inches. Wow. And wow. One of the things about paper props, obviously the kind of paper that you're using is a big piece because when you, you're getting all these different types of information, you're getting information on the quality of the paper that you're holding and the texture and all that kind of stuff and any aging you do or any other kind of stuff like that. But you also get a huge amount of information from the aspect ratio. And we're so used to seeing both eight and a half by 11 and then things that kind of come out of eight and a half by 11. So, you know, that mm -hmm. fold and stuff like that. So we're pretty used to seeing in those ratios. And I wasn't sure how useful it would be to have a wide format printer, but I found it like incredibly helpful. Like I'm like this, I mean, it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's not kind of the normal thing that you would think about in terms of like a great DM supply, but it has been one of the most, the best investments I have ever made around just making props mm -hmm. to make bigger things or even like kind of game of Thrones style letters that are like long, yeah. long scrolls. Yeah which you can kind of, so you don't actually use, I don't use the full piece of paper, but I just use this really, this strip <laughs> I'm doing and stuff like that. So yeah, so a shout out to wide, to, to affordable consumer-based wide format printers. Uh, you the, just the, helped uh, me add to my Christmas list. That yeah. that sounds amazing. <laughs> I, I I had that on there uh, recently because uh, Devin Rue, the, uh, they, they do the, oh, yeah, the Devin. maps and everything maps. like that. They've been posting these, the, this image or these videos of, the the maps coming out of the the wide oh, yeah. frame printers and i just turn to my wife and go i want and she goes why i'm like for things <laughs> <laughs> so but but hers they're a little beyond i think my price range so oh, yeah. no, 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 no 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 i was i saw that video too or one of devin's videos like that i was like oh my god that looks so great oh i yeah, know I yeah fine. because because like what I, I would love to do like because I, I the one artistic thing that I have managed to be able to do is draw maps like I can do continent maps and dungeon maps and they look okay uh they look okay <laughs> enough for me not to go I hate that so <laughs> that's that's a huge bar for me so like it would be really cool if I could draw these out and then print them on a larger thing that when we do in-person games, I can put on the table because yeah, doing the, the, you know, the, the printer paper one, it's like, oh, okay, well I gotta, I gotta split it into four images and I gotta make it line <laughs> up and print them out. So yeah, that, that's a, that's, you made the, that that want make a little more sense to me now. <laughs> I mean, I think it's great for props, but I, yeah, I use it a lot for just tabletop play. Um, I uh, have a bunch of stuff on D&D Beyond, and so you can mm -hmm. get kind of the maps, and I'll take yeah. the map, and then I'll do, usually I kind of mask a bunch of stuff off, and then I'll print a big version of that for the players, and then I'll have a big version for myself that I can just layer over top, and then I just quickly draw in the pieces as they're going into new rooms or whatever, and mm -hmm. so that's sort of default mapping solution that i use with all the players but yeah it would really not work at eight and a half by 11 so yeah <laughs> it's, it's a little rough all right well we we have we've gone on quite a bit we've taken up uh quite a bit of your time is there anything you want to say uh add here at the end uh no thanks for having me on it's been great it's been uh, such a such a treat chatting with both of you thank <laughs> well, you for thank being you. on it, it's it's been it's been great having you here great chatting mm -hmm. with you <laughs> yeah there, there was a little bit of worry at the beginning i was just like oh god are we gonna be able to talk about stuff and it's like, no you're you're a totally chill dude you're, you're fantastic to, to sit down <laughs> and have a conversation with <laughs> um but but yeah so um 
the go play Isle Champions. Like, just go do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that's what I'll plug. That's what I'll plug here for Eric. Yeah, go go play Isle Champions. Go support the the game that he he has helped bring to the world. is fantastic. And don't forget, you can get two free gold chests. So I'm just saying, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what's, that, what's the code again? <laughs> Read the table. You can, yeah, yeah. That's know, good. Yeah. good advice and good code. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. Um, thank you again, Eric. We'd love to have you on anytime. This was a fun conversation. We can have. We talk more about props or any other D and D stuff that you'd want. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, so that's going to do it for this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, the best way to support it is by leaving a review on whatever podcast service you're currently listening to it on, you know, leave, leave a cool review. Don't, don't, don't be a jerk, please. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, you can keep up with the show on, uh, Twitter at difficulty class or on Instagram at difficulty podcast, where we are getting better about posting pictures. Yes. So yeah, there's actually <laughs> things to see. Uh, <laughs> and if you want to write in, uh, with, uh, any topic suggestions, questions, questions, advice, anything you want to just have a conversation with us, you can send that in difficultyclass at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, we'll get back to you on that or read it on the show and have a conversation about it. Uh, but yeah, until next week, you know what? Have a good game.